Well, thanks for coming today, especially if you knew it was me. Somebody asked me at the last service why I only come here at this time of the year, and I said, well, you'll have to ask my parole officer about that. It's the only time I'm allowed. But I am, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, and I especially appreciate being asked back. I've been preaching on the last Sunday of the year here for a long time, like seven, eight, maybe ten years, I don't know. I'm old, so, you know, I can't really remember that well. Let's pray. Our Father, we're, we're thankful for all the things you've done for us, for the blessings you've given us, for the magnificent way that you have changed our lives. And we ask this morning now that you'll bless us as we look into your word. We ask this in the name of our great God, our great Savior, the great rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the, the last Sunday of the year, and one of the things that, that I like to do, it might be one of the things that you like to do at the end of the year, is to look over those lists of the people who've died. Uh, and I find there are several different kinds of reaction. One is that you're glad that you're not on there, and... Another is that you're, you're not shocked by someone. And then there's a third, and that is that you think, I thought he was already dead. <laughs> That's when you know you're not at the top of your game when people say, Sam Lamerson, is he already dead? You know, you just, you're not making much difference there. And I, I looked at some of those people, and it's just, sometimes it's, it's a little shocking to me, like this year, Remember Big Daddy Don Cornelius of Soul Train? He died. Who would have thought? You know, when I was a kid watching Soul Train, I loved that show. I, I wished when I was a kid that I was a little bit African-American so I could try out Afro Sheen, but I couldn't. Now I, Women Pledge pretty much does it for me. So, But there's always these, there's always these people on that list, and you think, I... I can't believe it. And there's this sort of sadness that comes with us at the end of the year because as you look back, you realize that there were lots of things that you wished that you could have done that didn't get done and lots of things that you had hoped to accomplish that you, that you didn't. There's no doubt that the end of the year brings with it some sadness. My father said to me one time when I was a young man, he said, you never do anything consciously for the last time without some feeling of sadness. And I, I thought about that, and I, I think it's probably true. No matter how awful the event is, if you know that you're doing it for the last time, it still brings with it some feeling of sadness because it's the last time. And at the end of the year, we look back, <clears throat> and there's some sense of sadness there. Uh, one of the saddest things that that I've ever done as a minister and that I ever do as a minister is the funeral of a small child or an infant. There's just something about standing in front of a little tiny casket that makes you realize the world is not what it's supposed to be, that there's something wrong here, that there's something, there's something broken, there's something, something that isn't what it was supposed to be. 
And yet, as horrible as it is to stand before a casket like that, think about the fact that in this passage of Scripture that we read today, it's, it's even worse because it's not one child that died. It's a number of children that died. And what's scary about it is that Matthew tells us this, that God not only knew that this was going to happen, but He predicted that it would happen. And so there's a sense in which this is ordained by God. The death of these children, that's a really saddening kind of thought. And it's between the birth of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and the adulthood of Christ in Matthew chapter 3, there is this sadness of the death of these infants. So let's look at it today and see what it is that Matthew wants us to learn about Jesus and about ourselves as we look at this passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 2, and it starts in, in verse 13. It is the escape of Joseph from, <clears throat> from the land of Israel into the land of Egypt. And this is what the text says in Matthew chapter 2. Now, when they had departed, that is, the, the, the wise men, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the trial to child and destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what our Lord God had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take up the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took up the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is, a, in some sense, a very sad piece of text, a very sad piece of Scripture. And yet, Matthew obviously has something for us to learn. God has something for us to learn in this passage. And I think that if we look at the passage carefully, we'll realize that what Matthew wants us to know is this. Matthew wants us to know that God is working out His plan, even though we might not know the reason for the evil in our lives, we can know that God is using that evil to work out good in His plan. 
And we can remember this for se- on account of several things that Matthew has to tell us in this passage. Several things that if we grasp them together, they're really valuable so that when we walk out of here and we feel that inevitable sadness that comes with the end of each year, we can realize that regardless of what kind of difficulties we might have faced in the past year, God is ultimately working it all out for good. Three things, I think, that Matthew tells us that we should remember and that you can take away with you and that you can remember today. The first is... You can remember that evil right now is real. In the 16th verse, you very clearly see what's going on. Herod had met with these wise men. And the wise men had said to him, Listen, we hear that the king of the Jews is to be born. And Herod said, Hey, I'm the king of the Jews. Nobody else is the king of the Jews. Herod was was a whack job. Like, that's what it's in the original Greek. That's what it says. Herod was a whack job. And he just had a number of problems. One of them, one of the problems was that he never wanted anyone else who might be able to take over his throne. And so Herod killed one of his sons because he was afraid that his son was gaining so much power. The word for pig and the word for son in Greek sound very similar. And so there was, a, there was a saying during this time that it's better to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son. Because Herod was, he just never knew what he was going to do. And this is clearly a terribly evil action that Herod's engaged in. He says, I'll show that person who's born king of the Jews if I can't find out who he is. Because the wise men, rather than going back and telling Herod, okay, this is where we found the wise man. We found the king of the Jews. He's born in this house. You can go there and see him if you want. The wise men were warned that that's not really what Herod wanted. He didn't want to just go and see him. And so they left and went home another way so they didn't pass through Jerusalem. Herod says, listen, if they're not going to tell me who the wise man is, then I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll kill every kid in the area. And that's what he did. Every male child in the area, he just went out, had them put to death. And that's a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, you can imagine the mothers as their children were put to death in that situation. They said to themselves, this is just awful. Why would God allow our children to be put to death like that? And it's a reminder to us that there really is evil in the world. If you know anyone who's a follower of the... uh, faith called Christian science. This is not a person who's a scientist and who's also a Christian. It's a Christian scientist is a sort of a church, sort of. They have reading rooms. You may have seen them. And one of the central tenets of Christian science, started by Mary Baker Eddy, one of the, the central tenets is that evil's not real. And so... If you feel bad, it's only because you think you feel bad. It's not real. If you're sick, it's only because you think you're sick. You're not really sick. Somebody dies, it's only because they think they're dead. They're not really dead. And we look at that and we say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. They can't really believe that. I mean, what if somebody starts choking at a Christian science award banquet? What do they do? Do they say, you only think you're choking? Or does somebody give them the Heimlich? 
showing that they don't really believe that and that they know that evil really is real. With the horrible shooting at the school, just too all too recent in all of our minds. You'll notice that nobody on the television or on the radio or in the print media, nobody said evil's not real and this is not really evil. Everyone agreed, regardless of what their philosophy or religion might have been, everyone agreed this was a terrible, terrible, evil thing that happened. And it was. And evil is really all around us. Just uh, last week, my family and I were in Atlanta, and we went to the Prisoner of War Museum, you can tell I'm an exciting guy. I want to go to the Prisoner of War Museum. And, uh, and at the Prisoner of War Museum is actually in Andersonville, which was uh, the, a prisoner of war camp during the Civil War. And it was the prisoner of war camp at which more prisoners died than any other place, any other camp in the, in the Civil War. And so I'm there. I went there early one morning. And it, you look out in the the... Obviously, the camp is not there. It was essentially just wooden posts. And the prisoners of war basically just lived on a football field. And whatever whatever they could do to make themselves some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of housing, or they just did what they could. And about a foot away from the, or maybe about 10 feet, 15 feet away from the, the wall is... Uh, a smaller fence called the deadline. And if they crossed that deadline, they were allowed to be shot immediately by any of the guards. And you look at that and you realize that in this relatively small area, probably about the size of a football field or a little bit bigger than that, there were over 7,000 men living there. Many of them without proper nutrition, without proper water, without proper food, with almost no shelter whatsoever. I stood there and tried to imagine what it must have been like to be under the broiling Georgia sun and have nowhere to go. To be outside in the cold night and have nowhere to go. To be starving to death and have no way to get food. To be dying of thirst and have no way to get water. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a horrible thing, and we must first of all realize that evil really exists, and that Satan does all that he can to try to create this evil and to make it work against God's plan. There's a very interesting verse in this chapter, it's actually in verse 3, and you'll see it. When the the wise men tell Herod that there's a born a king of the Jews, the text says, Uh, Where is this person who's been born of the king of the Jews? And in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It's very interesting. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The reason that all Jerusalem was troubled with Herod was because they knew that if Herod's upset, nobody's safe. If you've ever been in a, a southern kitchen, you might have seen this sign on the wall. I saw it when I was a kid. There was a sign that said, If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Maybe that's true at your house. I don't know. But that was true in Jerusalem. If Herod wasn't happy, nobody was happy. Because you never knew what he might do. You never knew. You never knew who he might decide to kill next. And so Matthew wants to 
force us to realize that there's a very serious evil that exists in the world. And that when we look back on the last year, whatever the problems that we faced, we faced them because the world is broken. It's evil and something is wrong with it. But that's not where the passage ends. There's a second thing that Matthew wants us to remember. He wants us not only to remember that evil is real right now, but he secondly wants us to remember that Christ offers help in the short term. That when we face problems in our life, as we have in the last year, and as we will in the coming year, that Christ offers us help in the short term. Because it's only the short term. We are celebrating the birth of Christ last week, but we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. We're, we're in in-between time, just as this week is an in-between time, in-between Christmas and New Year's. We're waiting in an in-between time for the time when Christ comes back for His people. Christ offers us help during that short term. There are a variety of ways that Matthew reminds us that Christ offers help. First of all, Christ offers help through His Word. You'll notice that what happens is... Joseph is helped by an angel. An angel comes to Joseph as he has in, at several places in Matthew. And he says to Joseph, listen, hate to tell you this, but you've got to get up and go. Somebody's going to try to kill your son. And so the Word of God is help to all of us. When we face difficulties and trials in our life, there's no better place for us to turn than the Word of God. But that's not the only way that God offers help. God offers help not only through His Word, but also through His people. God wants us to realize that one of the greatest things that we have in the world is the ability to gather together, and that whatever difficulties or problems that we're facing, there are people who are here to help us. If you're facing difficulties and problems in your life right now, there's no better place to be than the church because it's there that God will show His love for you through the people that are around you. One of the interesting theories about how Joseph and Mary and Jesus were able to survive in Egypt because Joseph couldn't just take his carpentry business or his stonemason business with him. He... He needed somehow to make a living. So they moved down in Egypt. He doesn't know anybody. He may not be able to communicate very well. And there, there's a theory among a number of New Testament scholars that this gift that was given by the wise men, remember they come earlier in the chapter 2, they come and they give these gifts to Jesus. The theory is that Joseph took those gifts and he used them in a variety of ways to procure money so that he and his wife and his child could exist in Egypt until the time of danger was away. That's the way that Christian people help one another. That's the way that God helps us. He helps us by putting people in our lives who can do us great and wonderful. It can help us so much. But God doesn't just help us through His Word. He doesn't just help us through His people. He also helps us through an educated imagination. You'll notice that what's going on here is that Matthew sees more than just slaughtered children. When we read through this passage, it's not that Matthew just sees these babies who have been killed. And it's a terrible thing. You can't read this quotation from Jeremiah without realizing that Matthew senses the pain that all of those mothers had as their children were taken away from them. 
You can't read that passage and not realize that Matthew is saying this is a horrible thing. And it's, it's painful to read Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's painful. But Matthew reminds us that there's something better coming. That as painful as it was for those mothers to lose their sons, there's something better coming. There's something wonderful that's coming. And Christ offers that same help to all of us. And so if all of us, when we face the difficulties and trials in our life, if we look at them and say to ourselves, I have the Word of God, I have the people of God around me, but more than that, I have the promise of God that all things are going to work together for good to those who love Him. It may not look like it's working together for good right now, but I know that it's going to. And that is great and wonderful help in the short term, because we realize that even though there is exile, even though there are times when we feel far away from God, that Jesus Christ was sent to break the exile and to redeem us and to bring us into that great and wonderful world that He has prepared for us. So we remember that Christ offers help in the short term. But that's not the only thing that, that Matthew says to us. He doesn't just say that Christ offers us help in the short term. And he doesn't just say that evil is real. But the third thing that Matthew says to us that we ought to remember is that we ought to remember that Christ offers hope for the long term. That is, it's not just a short-term fix. It's a long-term perfection. And you'll realize that verse 18 is, is Matthew's quotation of Jeremiah 31.15. And if you, later on this afternoon, you read through Jeremiah chapter 31, you'll notice some interesting things. One is that Jeremiah 31 is this wonderfully happy passage. The only, the only gloomy passage at all in all of Jeremiah 31, that whole chapter, the only gloomy section is that one verse there that Matthew pulls out. And I think that Matthew does that because he wants us to realize that even though things look gloomy, really they're going to turn out okay. Matthew, when he quotes small pieces of text, he expects his readers to remember the larger pieces of text. And there's no doubt in my mind that Matthew, when he quoted this small passage of Jeremiah 31, he hoped and expected that his readers would realize all about Jeremiah 31. And if you look back to the prophet Jeremiah, one of the things you realize is that Jeremiah is prophesying during the time of exile. What has happened is that the children of Israel have been overrun and they have been taken off into the land of Babylon. Their houses have been destroyed. Some of their people have been killed. They have left everything they, they loved, including their own land. And they have nothing anymore. They live in a land of exile. And that's sad. But the prophet Jeremiah promises them that that's not the way things are going to end up. He promises them that there's something better than that. And one of my favorite verses in Jeremiah 31 is in Jeremiah 31 and, and chapter three, uh, chapter 31 and, and verse about verse 14. 
And this is what the prophet said. He says, again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dance of merrymakers. God is saying through Jeremiah the prophet, look, things might look really bad right now, but I promise you that one day you're going to be so happy you're going to want to play the tambourine. There was, in a, in a church that I was a pastor of a long time ago, there was a man that came there for, for a long time who was uh, mentally handicapped. And he had been coming there since I was a little child. My father had started the church, and, and then eventually when I became the pastor. And then one day he came up to me and he said, I'm moving to another church. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but could you, could you share with me why, why it is that you're moving? And he said, well... This other church, they have a band, and they're going to let me play in it. Now, I, I knew that the guy really couldn't really play any instruments, but I figured, you know, maybe they're going to work him in something I didn't know. So I said, that's great. I'm, I'm, I hope that is a blessing to you. And about three or four weeks later, I saw him walking down the street, and I stopped, and I said, hello, how, how are things going? He said, oh, they're great. I said, how's the band going? He said, oh, the band is great. I said, well, what, what instrument do you play? He said, I play the tambourine. And I said, that's great. How's that going, playing the tambourine? He looked me straight in the eye and he said, I've already broke four of them. That's playing the tambourine. That tambourine knows it's been played when you broke it. And that's the sort of joyous playing that Jeremiah promises his people. He promises them that, look, I know that you're in exile. I know that things are going terrible for you. I know that you things look as if they will never be the way that they should be, but don't give up because there's something better coming. See, the short term is that we're all in exile. The short term is that things are not what they're supposed to be. The short term is that we live in a world that's broken, but the long term is that we're moving to a city where there aren't any tyrants. The long term is that we're moving to a city where there aren't any cemeteries. The long term is that we're moving to a city where no child gets shot in school, where no baby boys die, where death is swallowed up in victory. That's what Jeremiah is telling us, and that's what God is telling us, and that's what happened that day when that young baby was born. Even though there were some children who lost their lives, ultimately God is saying it will all work out for good. And in heaven, I believe that God might give us a look at our lives, and He might show us the reason why He brought us through the trials that He did. He might let us look back and say, look, I know that you were really worried about the fact that you didn't have enough money at that time, but I was, I was working it out for good. I know that you were really worried about that, that medical test that you had to go through, but I was working it out for good. And as we look back on all those trials, we can realize that as horrible as they looked at the time, God was ultimately working it out for good. One of the things that I like to do in for a pastime, besides read, is uh, play chess. So you know that my life is a roller coaster ride of excitement. I, I, I'm not very good at chess. I just like to play it, and I like to combine reading and chess by reading about chess. And one time I read, and I don't know if this is true painting, and so don't send me an email saying where can I see that painting. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story. The story is this: this. Uh, 
painting, and at the bottom of the painting it said, Checkmate. And as you looked at the painting, you realized that there was a young man sitting there across the chessboard from a character that was obviously painted to look like Satan or the evil one. And as you look more carefully, you realize that most of the young man's pieces were off the board. He had maybe some pawns and a rook left, maybe a knight. And you look at it and the young man's head is hanging down and the evil one has this bright smile and you realize that they're playing for his soul and the young man has lost his soul and that's why it says at the bottom of the painting, checkmate. But then in the story, this chess master walks by and he glances up at it Starts walk by, but then he glances up at it a little bit more carefully, and then he stops, and you can see in his mind the wheels turning, and he looks at it really carefully, and then he says in a voice that is much too loud for the museum in which he's standing, he says, it's not checkmate. The king has another move. The king has another move. And that's what we remember in all the death and destruction and terror and demolition that exists in the world. We remember that this is not the way that it ends, that the king has another move. We remember that when Eve sinned and Adam sinned with her and they were both kicked out of the garden and Satan stood there, stood there thinking, this is it, I've beaten the plan of God, it's checkmate. The king had another move. And we remember that when Joseph, the entire, all of the people of Israel's entire fate rested in the hands of Joseph. And Joseph was sold into prison, about ready to be put to death. And Satan said, this is it. I've beaten the plan of God. It's checkmate. But the king had another move. And you remember that when the people of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity, and it seemed as if they were going to be destroyed. It seemed as if a Messiah could never come out of that people who were destroyed in the Babylonian captivity. And Satan said, this is it. I've beaten the plan of God. It's checkmate. But the king had another move. And you remember when John the Baptist was in prison, Satan said, this is it. Finally, I've defeated God. But no, the king had another move. And then you remember that on that most horrible of days, when this Jesus Christ, whose birth as a baby we celebrated, grew into a man, and he was taken by Roman soldiers, nailed to a cross, and after a horrible agony, he finally died, then Satan is dancing, saying, finally, I've killed the Messiah, this is it. Nothing ever can come of God. I've defeated Him. And three days later, the king had another move. And that's what I say to you today. As difficult as your year 2012 might have been, that's not the end. As horrible as the problems that you might have had, that's not the end. As difficult as it is to see these boys put to death by a crazy ruler, that's not the end. 
Because one day, Jesus Christ is coming back and He will make the world what it's supposed to be. And even though it might look now as if there's no hope, I promise you that the King has another move. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that You take such care of us. We are thankful that You do indeed have another move. We are thankful that as broken as this world is, we have hope because You are preparing for us another place. And we are thankful that You have another move. And we pray that You will bless us in the coming year In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.